Welcome everyone, it's so good to have you here. Um, Sam and Justin uh, on our leadership and Amanda, our other associate pastor, we're so bummed not to be here today. They are traveling, uh, but they are also just so excited for Susan and Chan and Corbin. We're just so grateful to have them. Uh, for, you know, one of the greatest blessings of this church to Alex and I's life, we were just reflecting on this the other day, is the high caliber of people that Jesus has brought into this community. And I don't like say that in like an arrogant or like a, oh, look at us type of way, but more so, I really believe Jesus is calling this community to be like a sent people. Uh, a place where like a whole lot of pretty amazing followers of Jesus are discipled in his ways and are sent out to further the gospel of Jesus Christ and reveal the kingdom of Jesus in the places they work, live, and play. And so uh, for a church this size, the fact that we have a leadership team of like incredible 13 people is just, I can't believe it. I'm so grateful. So... Uh, well, today we are pushing a pause on our Apostles' Creed sermon series. Uh, we did that actually last week to spend just a few weeks on our vision series. Uh, three weeks just kind of talking about the vision of the church. And we'll do this every single fall, uh, just kind of as a way of reorienting ourselves around the goal uh, Jesus has given us, which is to reveal the kingdom of Jesus together in Kansas City. And last week, Alex spent the time coming kind of unpacking, like, what is the kingdom of Jesus? Like, if we want to reveal it, what is that thing? More on that in a little bit. Uh, I will recap as we move on. Uh, but today, we're specifically going to be focusing on a very pesky, kind of wonderful, but also annoying word in our vision statement. And that word is together, together. Uh, ultimately, we're going to be answering two questions, two questions. Why do we have to do this whole Jesus thing together? And then two, how do we do it together as a community of Jesus Christ? So first, we're going to start with why. Why do we have to do this Jesus thing together? A new study from the Pew Research Center shows that the U.S. Christian majority has been shrinking for years. The study found that 50 years ago, about 90% of the Christian, uh, excuse me, U.S. population was Christian, whereas today that number shrunk to about 64%. However, the Pew Research Foundation also found that a number of people were identifying as what they called religiously unaffiliated. And this group of people is on the rise. And although some of these individuals are atheists, a majority of them include the title agnostic, spiritual, or nothing specific. I like that last one, nothing specific. I'm checking that box, that's funny. Anyway, the percentage is currently projected, that percentage of people is currently projected to overtake the US Christian population by the year 2070. And ultimately the question is why, right? Why are we seeing such drastic change in the last 50 years? And Stephanie Kramer, one of the lead researchers on the study uh, gives a few reasons for this. She says, some scholars say that it's just an inevitable consequence of the development for societies to secularize. Once there's a strong secular institution, once people's basic needs are met, there's less need for a religion. 
logical. The other reason she gives is that other people point out that the affiliation really started to drop in the 90s, and it may not be a coincidence coincidence that it coincides with the rise of the religious right and more associations between Christianity and conservative ideologies, right? Yes, all of these things are tracking. They're making sense. And then there's this whole long line, right, of flawed churches and pastors, which have gained a lot of attention in the last several years. The sexual abuse uh, scandal and cover-up regarding children in the Catholic Church. Allegations recently made against the SBC see Brian Houston, Carl Lentz, Robbie Zacharias, Mark Driscoll, and if you're old school, Jimmy Swagger and Jim Baker. Not just the last few years, guys, okay? And then we have all our own personal experiences, right? Myself included, of a pastor or a church or a leader who hurt you, disappointed you, or just failed you. And many of us are just sitting here wondering, why should I be a part of a failing institution, right? This has led to what many researchers call the rise in privatized religion or a faith that's considered purely private. And primarily this group of people say that they rely on themselves rather than the established or organized religion of the day to answer spiritual questions. In Christian circles, uh, this has kind of been summarized by a few phrases, but uh, one most popular, I'm into Jesus, but not the church. Yeah, maybe you've heard someone say that before. Maybe you've even said it yourself. And if you have, you are amongst friends. There's no condemnation here. In fact, there's a deeply felt emotion and legitimate sentiment behind a phrase like that. I get that. Furthermore, I personally understand and get this phrase. Uh, several months back, I shared uh, my family actually helped plant several churches when we were kids. My parents uh, vocationally were full-time musicians, and it allowed them to have a little bit more of a flexible schedule. And so we helped plant three different churches in our community. Uh, my dad, various roles, executive pastor, small groups pastor, my mom, worship pastor, women's ministry pastor, all the things. And would you know it, today, only one of those three church plants still exists. I am well acquainted with dysfunction, moral failure, church hurt, and church pain. And without going into all the details, I have every excuse to abandon the institution, to embrace privatized religion, to wage a war against the religious machine, right? However, despite all of that hurt, all of that pain, all of the unintended consequences that happened when I decided to do this whole Jesus thing with other people, I still believe in it. Why? I believe in the church, not because I have some self-destructive tendency, although some of you may disagree, I don't know. Uh, not because I'm a pastor, uh, not even because I decided to start a church, but I believe in the church because Jesus believed in it. This is evident throughout the scriptures. And interestingly enough, Jesus's life demonstrates that he not only believes in Christian community, but he actually believes in and attends the institutionalized religion of his day. In the words of Tyler Satan, for Jesus, the church was never optional. Jesus was not anti-institutional. 
He regularly led his disciples and himself into the church of the first century, which was the synagogue and the temple. Jesus immersed himself in the relationships that he had at the temple. He went to the temple to pray. He added his own voice even to the teachings of the temple. This is not to say that the temple and the synagogue of Jesus' day was perfect. Far from it. In fact, Jesus and his disciples did not turn a blind eye to the corruption of the religious leaders or to its institution. They called it out. Jesus does this in the temple courts when he turns over tables. He does this with the Pharisees as they rebuke his disciples for gathering wheat during the Sabbath. Jesus was likely accused of being mean, rude, and hostile towards the religious leaders of his day. But notice, despite all of Jesus' woes against the synagogue and the temple, he doesn't boycott the temple, he does not boycott the synagogue of his day, rather he continues to show up and participate in the institutionalized religion. Whoa. But not only does Jesus participate in this type of formal religion, he also participates in intimate Christian community. Jesus gathered 12 people around him, individuals who bridged every socioeconomic, ideological, and political line that existed in ancient Israel. He called blue-collar workers. He called tax collectors. He called zealots to the same inner circle and said, let's do life together. Let's become a family. And as beautiful as this is to look back on, it was so dysfunctional. The only thing at times that many of these 12 people agreed on is that they liked Jesus and wanted to follow him. Scripture shows us over and over and over again that these people struggled to get along, that they struggled to like each other sometimes, that they struggled to agree, but they continued to participate in the family of God together. Maybe, just maybe, Jesus knew what he was doing not when he called the disciples to the pipe dream of community, but when he introduced them to the tension of community, knowing that their differences between one another and the differences of those in the synagogue and the temple would actually shape them into a person of God. Could it be that Jesus still knows what he's doing as he calls all different kind of people Rich, poor, young, old, conservative, liberal, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, into real Christian community, his church. One that's not idyllic, one that is not perfect, but one that ultimately works to shape who we are. See, the dark side of privatized religion, the thing that we don't talk about, is when you have no one else around you that is shaping you towards the person of Christ, Christ ends up looking exactly like you. And this is why Jesus, without the church, does not exist on the pages of Scripture. It's just not there. Jesus believed in both the institution of religion, despite all of its flaws, and he participated in Christian community. 
demonstrating to us what it looks like to do life together, to love Jesus together. So we've answered, why? Why do we have to, as Jesus followers, actually participate in church? And now we're going to move on to the how. How do we do that? You know, we believe that as a church, we are a family. And so every year we want to revisit how do we as people coming to this church participate in this family? What role do we play? And there are five commitments that we ask each participant in this community to make. And our hope is as we share these commitments, we ensure that not a few are carrying the burden of community, but that all are. Brief aside, you know, as a pastor, I'm fully aware, as I was even preparing my sermon this week, I'm like, ugh, this sounds so (laughs) self-serving. Like, I am asking people to help my life be easier. This is, wow, yeah, this feels really great. Uh, And so I even debated, like, phrasing it this way, like, these five commitments. Uh, But, you know, at the end of the day, as Alex and I were talking through it, Like, nobody wants to be that, like, second cousin that shows up to, like, the family reunion, right? That, like, doesn't know anybody and is, like, kind of on the outskirts. And they're like, I'm sort of related. Joe Gonzalez is like, yes, back here. He's like, you know, I'm, like, kind of related to you all, but I don't know you all. And there's this weird, right, in between. And we never want that to occur here. When you come into this family, we want it to be clear how you can participate and join in on this family of God, this unique community that God has placed in Midtown. So I'm going to go through these five commitments, and please hear my heart when I say this. This is an invitation. An invitation to say we would love for you to fully be a part of this family that's in our Midtown neighborhood. And so as I go through these, those, keep those in mind. But here are the five commitments for you, and we're going to break each of these down. First one, reveal the kingdom of Jesus. Second, belong to a microchurch. Third, gather on Sunday. Four, serve. And five, be generous. So let's start with our first one here, reveal the kingdom of Jesus. This is the first step in committing to follow Jesus together, which is why Alex kind of spent all last week unpacking what that looked like. So I would encourage you, if you were not here, go back, listen to the podcast. It's wherever you find your podcast or on YouTube. And I personally think it was one of the best descriptions of what it looks like to live in the kingdom of Jesus. I know um, I'm a little biased because I'm married to the guy that did it, but still, I'm telling you, it was really good and probably something you've been working to craft for like several years now. So go back, listen to that. It'll give you kind of a full description, but I'm going to work to do it justice here and summarize it quickly. The kingdom of Jesus or the reign of God is not simply the ruling of our hearts, but a kingdom that pervades every single aspect of our lives, both the spiritual and the physical. And it looks utterly different than any kingdom we have ever experienced in this world. It's what many refer to as the upside down kingdom, a new world order in which the last or the first shall be last and the last shall be first, right? In which we constantly bend a knee and serve. And Jesus invites us to be a part of that kingdom and says, you were made to actually live in this type of kingdom. 
Dallas Willard actually puts it this way. He says, we are built to live in the kingdom of God. It is our natural habitat. It's where we find our fullness in life. And so the first step to committing to this church is simply saying, I am willing to reveal the kingdom of Jesus. Mark 1:15 puts it this way, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So first, we reveal the kingdom of Jesus. Second, we belong to a microchurch. You know, Alex and I often get asked, what's the difference between small group and microchurch? Are you guys just trying to be fancy and like call something that we've done for like all of these years something new, right? Uh, Which like makes you laugh because I think people generally think that of us because of our age. And so I'm like, no, I promise you, we're not trying to be trendy. We're not trying to be cool. The reason why uh, we call microchurch microchurch and not small group is because the goal of a microchurch and the goal of small group are two different things. The goal of small groups uh, traditionally is to provide community for you, right, in a bigger church. However, the goal of microchurch is prayer, scripture, and mission. Prayer, scripture, and mission. Every week, members of this community gather in people's homes to pray prayers together, pray for one another, and read the scriptures with one goal in mind. How do we better reveal Jesus's kingdom in the places that we work, the places that we live, and the places that we play? And every week in microchurch, we ask the question, how do we plan to live out this scripture that we have just read today? Because we are convinced that praying with one another and reading the scriptures can actually change the way in which we live. That it can help us reveal Jesus' kingdom in a more powerful way in the places that we exist day to day. And the beautiful thing about microchurch is when we commit to gathering around those three things, prayer, scripture, and mission, community naturally happens. Like it just does. But unlike other groups, like small groups or life groups or whatever you may have, similarity or how well everybody gets along is not the thing that binds the group together. Rather, the thing that binds us, that holds us together, that keeps us present week in and week out in microchurch is Jesus's mandate to pray, to read the scriptures, and to live out what we've learned in our lives. And so just like the disciples, we may be a messy bunch of people who have varying beliefs about all sorts of things, different educations, different backgrounds, different jobs, but we come together time and time again in the midst of laughter and in the midst of conflict to shape one another, right? Because we are shaped more towards the person of Christ through our differences, So here is my encouragement or my invitation to you today. If you are not a part of a microchurch, I would encourage you to join one or maybe even consider starting one. The best place to start is by showing up to the October 13th dinner party. You'll get all the information that you need to start attending one. Uh, If you can't come, you can sign up online. We'll get you plugged in. If you are currently part of a microchurch, my invitation to you today is to reevaluate and commit to being a part of that community. 
Here is the really hard truth, and there is just no easy way to say this. It is practically impossible to be intentionally shaped by a community if you don't regularly show up. You just won't. You won't experience intentional life change that actually changes your day-to-day habits if you don't regularly show up. And so here's what I would ask of every microchurch member. And get here, I get it, life happens. I have been there, right? We all go through difficult seasons. But we ask that when you are in town, right, when you don't have something going on, when you're not sick, that you just show up, you attend. You make it a priority in your week. Uh, We ask that if you can't come, you give your microchurch leader a 24-hour notice. They are so amazing and so incredible, right? And no one loves to host a dinner party only to find out a few people are going to show up, right? We ask that you let them know in advance. And we ask that you actively participate, right? This means helping with the meal. This means helping hosting new people that are there or striking up conversation with somebody that, you know, it might be a little bit awkward, but hey, who cares, right? Helping your microchurch, right? Love on the people there, participating in prayer, participating in discussion, offering up areas that have been difficult in your own life, right? Being vulnerable. We ask that you've, you are already part of a microchurch, that you reevaluate and you recommit to saying, this will be a priority, a rhythm in my life. And lastly, if you're here and you're feeling like Jesus is saying, man, start one of those. We would love for you to lead a microchurch. Here's the reality. We need more microchurch leaders. This church has grown so much in the last uh, few months. And so we're bursting at the seams. And you know what? We're just going to keep having people come until like they're in the hallway. And I don't even care, right? We're never going to cap the group. But we need more microchurch leaders. Alex and I would be absolute fools if we thought we could intentionally pastor more than 20 people. We would be. There's no way that's going to happen, which is why we have to share the burden and the responsibility with other people that are willing to say, I am going to commit to pastoring, loving, and serving people in this community. And so if you're like, yes, that's me. I want to start a microchurch. Let your current microchurch leader know or let one of us pastoral team members know, and we will get you started on that track. So one, reveal the kingdom of Jesus. Two, we want you to belong to a microchurch. And three, gather on Sunday. As much as we love and as we value microchurch, we still believe in the value of a Sunday rhythm. There is something about gathering together lifting up the voices of those around you, right? Letting them carry you, hearing the stories of the people of God, of being reminded of the teachings of Jesus, of being challenged to do a spiritual practice every single week, of confessing with one another and taking communion with one another that forms and shapes us into the person of Jesus Christ. I didn't plan on sharing this, but uh, the last couple days have been a little rough for me and I haven't been feeling the greatest. And so I woke up this morning and I'm telling you right now, I was like, I can't get out of bed. I don't want to get out of bed. I want to roll back over and I want to go to sleep. I do not want to come today, right? And I'm like, no, you have to come. You're preaching. Yeah, okay, gotta get your clothes on. Come on, Cassie, you gotta do your hair. It's like, we gotta do this. So I get here, right? I'm still just having a little bit of a rough time. 
And you know, like, I'm standing at the doors because I always greet people as they come in, our volunteers, and act as security because, you know, I'm so, yeah, intimidating. And um, as people are coming in, I'm just like, man, I love these people. I'm really grateful for them. Like, I really came in today, like, not feeling the greatest, but they're like, provide me a little laughter, a little joy. Uh, as um, we were preparing to start our meeting, some of our littles had arrived, and Olivia, Randy's daughter, she, they're downstairs right now, uh, but she came in with, like, you could tell she had put her own makeup on, and it was, like, all over her face, and I just, it made me chuckle, chuckle so hard. I'm like, oh, my gosh, don't you love it? Kids, right? Nothing like a kid to put your life into perspective. Uh, and then I'm sitting here, and I'm worshiping, and oh my word, just, I don't get usually super emotional during worship, but man, just like so burdened by so many of the things that are going on in our church community right now and in people's lives, and so grateful to hear the voices of people around me being able to carry those words, right, when I didn't feel it myself. And here's the thing, when we gather together on Sunday, we not only participate in the things that the church has always participated in, but we're reminded that we're actually part of a community in which we're just not alone. And so we invite you to prioritize this rhythm. Get, we get it. We know life happens. We know you travel. We know work sometimes takes over life. We want you to take care of yourself and your family when you're sick, when you're not feeling well. But we ask that when you are in Kansas City, when you are here, you make this a committed rhythm because we really believe that when we show up, we're shaped into the person of Jesus, that he transforms a really hard day in the one that just has a little bit more joy. So one, we reveal the kingdom of Jesus. Two, we belong to a microchurch. Three, we gather on Sunday. And four, we serve Jesus' teachings and the depiction of the early church in the New Testament are filled with instruction on service. I'm just going to name a few for you today. I probably could name 50. But Mark, in Mark chapter 10, verses 44 through 45, it says, And whoever would be the first among you must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 through 14, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus and the disciples in, uh, in the New Testament instructed and demonstrated to us what service looked like for not only just one another, but also for people in need. And so at Midtown, we really want to work to reclaim that word serve. I know in many of uh, your varied church experiences, uh, serve can mean a whole lot of things. Serve can mean simply going through like a grow track and opening a door or whatever that looks like. And none of those things are bad, but we really do believe at Midtown that service means a whole lot more. It means not just sacrificially serving one another on a regular basis, but it actually looks like serving and humbling ourselves in our community. Serving the poor, serving the marginalized, serving the least of these.
And so two kind of things within this category of service. One, service to one another. We desire at Midtown to be a place where a lot of people do a few things instead of a small amount of people doing a lot of things. And so we simply ask that if you are willing and able, you commit to just saying, I am willing to help out this family one to two times a month. And the goal in that is to all just simply say, I'm going to share just a piece of the burden, a small little part. I'm going to have a monthly rhythm and contribute to just helping out a fellow friend in this community. Here are some commitments that we promise to make to you. Uh, We promise to always care more about you as a person than what you can do for the church. Let me repeat that. We promise to always care more about you as a person than what you can do for this church. I know that's not been the case for most of you in this space, and so we promise to do that. We also promise to continue to create an intentional but paired back Sunday experience to make sure that this type of thing doesn't get so big that it's difficult to bear. And so with that in mind, we simply ask, we invite you and say, would you be willing to uh, serve one to two times a month, just one to two times a month? You can find out more information about that on our website, sign up. We'll also talk about that at dinner party on Thursday. The second is serve the community throughout the week. Like I mentioned, service should always extend much farther and much wider than the four walls of this building. And at Midtown, we really want to work to shift from a praxis that says only certain people or ministries are called to serve, love, the poor, marginalized, and oppressed, to a praxis that says all of us are called to reach the poor, oppressed, and marginalized. Jesus' teachings are pretty clear on this point, probably more clear on this than a majority of things that we debate in our current Christian world, right? We are all called, service is not optional to the people that have less than we do. And so monthly, we actually create opportunities within this church for you to do just that. Once a month, we have a serve day, and we serve with a variety of organizations that exist in this community. We serve with Agape Pomoja. It's an organization uh, where we do, like, work days to work on a house for a Congolese family. We serve with Synergy. It's a program for at-risk youth in our community. We did an Easter brunch for them, hung out with kids this past spring. In Juneteenth, we help Hope Center with their block party. They serve a really uh, low-income, underprivileged area. Uh, We do a back-to-school event with Longfellow. Elementary School, a KCPS school just right down the road. We regularly do appreciation for their teachers. We provide for needs for students, for families there, and we give school supplies to them regularly. These are all opportunities where we say we invite you to fulfill Jesus's mandate to serve the poor, oppressed, and marginalized. And here's the deal. I know many of you do this as your career. And so if that's you, oh my goodness, way to go. You are already doing this. I don't expect you to show up on a serve day. (laughs) But for those of us who do not do this on a regular basis, there is something that changes our hearts and our minds when we regularly put ourselves in proximity of people that have way less than we do. There's something very Jesus-like about continuing to say, I'm going to submit to loving and serving the poor, oppressed, and marginalized in my community. Not just simply showing up, 
but really working to invest in those relationships, to love those people, to see them not as just a checkbox, but to see them as people who Jesus loves and cares for. This month, our serve day is a little bit different than normal. This is the only serve day we do um, every year that is centered here at the Delta. We do a trunk or treat for the community. Uh, but what's really cool about that is we actually partner with, uh, this year we're partnering with like four different nonprofits who are all going to be here giving resources to the community. So it creates a space in which people can actually get connected with what they need. A majority of people that showed up last year, we had 300 kids last year, maybe 500 people. A majority of people that show up are from low-income families. And so we would love it if you would come, if you would host a trunk, you can sign up online. It's gonna be a really fun time. So one, we wanna reveal the kingdom of Jesus. Two, we wanna belong to a microchurch. Three, we wanna gather on Sunday. Four, we wanna serve both one another and this community. And five, we wanna be generous. We are descendants of an ancient church one that has historically practiced a 10% tithe. And as a participant in this community, we ask that you work toward that 10%. And here's the deal. Alex and I will never ask you to do something that we do not do ourselves. We actively give 10% of our income to the church as well as going above and beyond that. We support several missionaries on our own as well. And I don't say that to say like, ah, oh, pat us on the back. Really don't because uh, we aren't even fully fulfilling what Jesus has asked us to do yet when he calls us to radical generosity, way beyond the 10%. And so I'm going to get into an example of that in a little bit. But if you are here today and you've never given at all, my ask would be start with 1%. Start with 1%. This is a journey. This is a walk uh, towards spiritual maturity. So start with 1%. If you've been giving for a while, I would ask, move towards that 10%. Say, this is what I have to give. This is my act of faith. And if you have been here for a long time and you have given 10% for a long time, ask God, what would you want me to do with what I've been giving? How can I go above and beyond? I'm fully aware that this is the stickiest one of the five to ask for. I'm aware that it sounds extremely self-serving, especially as an individual that receives their income from this church body's generosity. But I'm also aware that there's a lot of mistrust specifically in this community regarding the church and finances. But even with all of that in mind, I am fully committed to practicing, living, and instructing in the life of Jesus. And the irony is Jesus talks about money probably more than he talks about anything else. And so as a pastor, as self-serving as it is, if I'm really wanting to teach, practice, and instruct in the way of Jesus, I have to talk about money. I have to talk about what it looks like to be a generous person. In fact, Jesus, in his particular day and time, not only called people to be generous with what they had, to give the 10%, as was customary in their day at the temple and the synagogue, but he instructs to go way beyond. 
It says in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were being put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Aren't you grateful we don't watch you put your tithe into the box back there? Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins with only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty and put in everything she had to live on. The reality of Jesus and his kingdom is he not only calls us to give 10%. In fact, you probably couldn't find that in the gospel. He calls us to give 100 And look, I'm not there yet. (laughs) I'm still on that journey. I'm trying to figure out day after day what it looks like to capture the idol that is money, that has a grip on my heart, lay that to bed and say, Jesus, how can I be more generous with what you've given me? But I simply ask that as you work to do that, as you work to be more like the person of Christ, to journey on this journey of spiritual maturity, to say, what does it look like to live fully in Christ's kingdom, that you join me in that journey? That you say, you know, I've never given before, but I'm going to work to give that 1%. You know, I've never fully given a 10%, but I am going to do that. You know, I've been giving 10% for a while, but I know I have more, and I need to give to those that don't have it. This is why every week we pray our generosity prayer. It says, Lord, shape our hearts and minds. Because ultimately, generosity is not about the money you give. It's all about the person that we're being shaped in the image of Jesus Christ. And as we work to be more like that poor widow than the rich people in that story, what would it look like to challenge ourselves in the area of generosity? So it's my simple invitation to you today. If you've never given 1%, if you've been for a while 10%, and if you've been giving 10%, what would it look like to go above and beyond? Worship team, if you would go ahead and join me up on the stage. You know, in life, I have learned that all great offers have unintended consequences. I grew up in a big city, and um, I love big city life. It's Cincinnati, Ohio. It's like almost the same size as Kansas City. And so I moved to Springfield, Missouri for college, and I don't think I quite realized like how much of a shock it would be for me because it's about like the 10th of the population of Cincinnati and Kansas City. And so the entire eight years that I lived there was, was so ungodly long. I was like, Jesus, just bring me back to the city. I can't wait. And so when Alex and I decided to move to Kansas City in the summer of 2020. I was like, yes, we're living the city again, the hustle and bustle. I can walk wherever I want, coffee shops just like a mile away, all of these things, right? But you know, in the romanticization of this city life, I kind of forgot about the unintended consequences that exist when you move into a city. Like the very loud police and fire sirens that are constantly going off like every hour around us. Or the party that's right outside my window in the middle of the street at 2 a.m. Like, why? I'm like, I don't want to even be up past, you know, midnight. You forget, right, that every great offer comes with unintended consequences. Things that you just didn't wish were there. 
And the unintended consequence of following Jesus is that we actually have to do it with other people and it's not always fun. Like, I'm not here today to say like, yes, if you do these five things, your life is gonna be like amazing and incredible. No, in fact, don't be surprised if it gets a little bit more challenging for a season. I can't promise you that this community is gonna be perfect. I can promise you that it will be messy. I can promise you that Alex and I are gonna fail you. That you're gonna be really disappointed with a leader here. I can probably promise you that you're gonna experience conflict that you're not gonna like everybody here, that sometimes you're not just gonna have the energy for the community, it's not gonna be the thing that you're like, yes, this is what I wanna do today. But I can promise you that if you commit to revealing Jesus's kingdom, belonging to a microchurch, gathering on Sunday, serving one another in this community of Kansas City and to generosity, we will shape one another more towards the person of Christ. It's not always gonna be fun, but you'll look more like Jesus with every day. Here is how Alex and I are really seeing these five commitments shape us. We sat down this week to kind of think through, okay, Lord, how have you shaped us and our hearts through this community? And here are some that we came up with. You know, running home to clean our house, getting something on the stove for dinner, and hosting people for microchurch after a really long Wednesday sounds just exhausting some weeks. Alex and I joke we run like a marathon from Tuesday through Thursday. It's like all of our meetings and everything smashed into three days. And sometimes by the time I get to Wednesday night, I'm like, ah, I'm not awake, right? But there's never, ever, ever, ever been a microchurch where everyone is left in the two years of us doing this. And I've regretted it, never once. I always walk away refreshed, maybe with a tired body, but with a full heart. You know, getting to church, as I shared this morning at 8 a.m. on Sunday, is not always my preferred sleeping schedule, it's not. But the moment that you get here, I'm filled with joy and I'm reminded that I'm not doing life alone. Like I'm not doing just the joyful moments alone or the hard moments alone, but I'm doing them with other people. Spending a Saturday morning working on an Agape Pomoja house and getting dirty beyond recognition. Like no one even knows who I am anymore, right? I come in, no makeup, crazy hair. I'm like covered in dirt, sweat, dust, paint, all the things. It's not always fun, but the families it has changed and the friendships that I've made with people that are completely different than me, like Bernadette sitting right over there, has changed my life. You've changed my life, Bernadette. The way that Alex and I manage our finances does not make sense to most people. We have given up the dream house, the nicest car, the vacation every month. But in our generosity, every month, it challenges that idol of money that grips my heart and causes me to do the stupidest of things. And ultimately, it provides for somebody who needs it way more than I did. Today, my offer is to simply just join this community knowing full well that together does not mean perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it does mean transformation of our 
hearts, of our souls, and of our minds. So if you are new today, um, first of all, we really never do this. Like this is a one a year thing. So you're like, oh gosh, this is what this church is like every week. No, um, but there is absolutely no pressure to sign the dotted line. But I would say if this vision compelled you today, if you're like, I wanna be a part of that, we'd love for you to come on October 13th. It's a, just a great way to meet people. It's a lot of fun. And for those that have been a part of Midtown for a while, maybe a few months or a year, I just wanna encourage you, I think it's easy to walk away from this and be like, oh, there's all these things I need to do. I feel so much guilt, so much condemnation, right? For not participating in this community the way that was laid out for me. And I just wanna briefly encourage you, that's not the intended purpose of this sermon. In fact, a majority of you serve this church with such incredible passion and love and strength in the midst of really hard life. So many of you lead microchurches week in and week out so self-sacrificially. So thank you. Thank you for that. But I do want all of us to simply say, to simply ask ourselves the question, to examine our own commitment and say, Jesus, what step do I need to take to reveal your kingdom with these other people? What step do I need to take to do this church thing with others? My prayer for us today is that we would shape one another in the person of Christ as we work to do this thing together. Let's pray. Lord, on days like today, where I don't feel 100%, thank you for a community that makes me 100. Thank you for people exist here who continue to raise up my arms, even when I feel like I cannot raise them. Lord, thank you for demonstrating for us while you were here on this earth, what it looked like to be a part of an institution that you did not always agree with, but you participated in. Thank you for modeling that for us. Lord, thank you that while you were here on this earth, you didn't just gather people around you that you got along with, that you liked, that you thought, oh, those are A plus people, but you gathered those around you who were so vastly different from one another, who had their own set of garbage and crap. Thank you for demonstrating what that looked like, Jesus. Thank you for your invitation now to us to do that. Lord, I pray that as we respond today in worship, as we take communion, that you would orient our hearts towards you as we worship with one another. And as we are reminded that we don't have to do this whole thing alone. Help us, Lord, as we examine our hearts and our lives and ask how can we take a step, Lord, to do this whole kingdom thing with you and other people. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.
Thanks for listening to the Midtown Church Weekly Podcast. To find out more or to join a church gathering, check out our website at midtownkc.church.